We just finished talking to a room full of prospective folks, and thank you for your prayers. Um, yeah, I'm not feeling great, but you know what? Here's the deal. I, um, I think I'm actually maybe passing my first kidney stone, which is having a baby. I'm going to name him Stone. It's going to be fun. Um, I don't know exactly. But here's, so if I dance a little, it could be the Babdicostal, it could be movement. Here's the deal. Um, we are so blessed with so many great people. Pastor Matt killed it last week, didn't he? If you heard his message on Faithfully Different, it's a great word, yeah. Every one of these guys, I can leave, I can be out, but you know, I told the guys last night when I said, ah, I've been in the bed a long time, boys, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. But then I thought, you know, been preaching the gospel over 25 years and I have never missed a Sunday to sickness in those years. One time I left the hospital, signed myself out. I was hyped up on morphine, had a buddy drive me to a homecoming service about an hour away and still preached. I have no idea what I said or if it was any good, but um, I just believe that God will give you what you need when you need it. So we're going to get at it today. Um, I want to pray for the Honduras team. You'll hear more about that from Pastor Kevin. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, seriously. Um, and uh, that's true. Life, somebody just texted me. I'm sorry. Yes, you were right, the one who just texted me. So <laughs> it is kind of humorous that I'm going to talk about 12 stones to start uh, right here. And it may not be that. I just think all symptoms are pointing that way. We, we rejoiced two Wednesdays ago, guys. I mean rejoice. We just had Pastor, we just had Justin West ordained. He's now Pastor Justin working with students. That's an awesome thing. I just announced that Pastor Mike will continue serving with Grace Connections, which is our, our um, assimilation ministries and all like Life of Grace, but he's also going to be the GCA campus pastor. They need that. It's going to be a great addition to GCA, and I announced a new brother that's joining the team actually next week, Nick Swarthout. Here's, I love a lot about Nick, but Nick was uh, in the armed forces. Nick was uh, special forces actually for six years, so I told y'all he could kill you with a spoon. He is my kind of dude, right? I like this guy. He's sharp, he's disciplined, he really wants to get our groups out on missions. He's going to be pastor of groups and community outreach. Nick and his family are going to be a fabulous addition to our ministry here. And, um, you know, God, God started this church in 1916. And his hand has been here for 108 years. And there have been times of challenge. There have been trials. But I wanted to focus just a smidgen on the last five years to say, Lord, what have you done for your glory? Uh, what have you done and, and how might we give you the praise? Because you remember when Joshua took the children of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. Now, they would still have a lot of battles. Jericho was just on the horizon. They still had a lot of battles. But what Joshua said was, I want you men to take up 12 stones, these big rocks, one for every tribe, and I want you to place it here. And I want you to tell your children and their children, this is what God's done for us. He brought us out of slavery, brought us through the wilderness. And he's brought us into this good land. And God's not finished with us. We're just getting started, in fact. But he said, I want you to remember this. That's why I called that message Rock On. I want you just to place a stone and move on. We came up with 12 stones. It is ironic. 12 stones. And I'm just going to do this super quick because, I, listen, all of this is for the glory of God. Please hear my heart in this, guys. I am not the head of Grace Baptist Church. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of Grace Baptist Church, okay? He is the one that's done any and every good thing throughout all of her history. 
We've seen a 58.7% increase in weekly giving. We've eliminated over $3 million of debt. And I mean eliminated. We are debt-free today. That is a beautiful thing. We have missions partnership. Yeah, you can give God the hand clap for any of this. We have missions partnerships all over the world. We have 56 partners right now. Every continent has a partner of grace or more than one working. The sun never sets. And I think it's good to be rifled and shotgunned. I love rifle. I killed a beautiful black buck down with a pastor's group this week in Texas with a, with a rifle. Rifle's important. If you know anything about rifles, man, that's a very powerful single shot. But shotgun, turkey season's coming up, guys. Shotgun's important too. Making a spread of pellets. We're doing both. We have intentional partners. We give a lot through the SBC. We're going to shotgun and rifle. We have 56 partners that we're going to do that with. We're going to increase that. By the glory, for the glory of God. Listen, this, this blew my mind. Between our Feeding the 5,000 and Senior Food for Kids, and I mean Senior Food Pantry and Food for Kids, we fed over 29,000 people these last few years, guys. Over 29,000 people. We've got community ministries. Yeah, you can give God the glory for that. We've got community ministries like um, Grace Performing Arts Center. That thing was down to 11 kids five years ago. It was never all that big, but it was down to 11 kids. That's got 165 participants in it. They're not only learning how to sing and play and dance and do what they do to the glory of God. They're doing it with teachers that are giving them Jesus. We've got kids that we, our Grace Youth Sports, it's not the school, by the way. This is different. Our church youth sports, which is not upward, we really compete. We believe in growing winners. Uh, not everybody gets a trophy. That's bad for your kids. Um, we've gone from 400 to over 1,000 this year. That's incredible. In addition to all these kids at the school, that's a beautiful thing to have all these children around here. Our discipleship ministries, when I got here on Wednesday nights, it was dead as a doornail. You had a few things for kids and students, but very little going by way of adults. We've seen Digging Deeper come out, Grace Women and Men, Grace Groups, Grace University. We're eating Baptist fried chicken on Wednesday nights. That's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing to see Cullum Hall full of people laughing and fellowshipping and eating and enjoying. I think the discipleship growth's been outstanding. The unity and culture of our staff, I promise you, this group is second to none. I just came back. Part of my week was in Texas with a group of guys. We were doing some hunting and devotion, and then I went to Florida to a large church roundtable group of guys I've been with about 10 years, churches of similar size all over the country. Um, I'm so proud of our staff. We have godly men and women. Did you realize if you add up our, all, our full-time church and school staff, which is just a ministry of the church, we only have one tax ID number, we're one organization, and you look at all of our part-timers and our contract people like coaches and stuff, we have about 300 employees now. But they're not employees. They're servants of the Most High God. They're serving Jesus and serving people, and the staff unity is second to none. They're rowing together, gang. You'd be proud of them, I tell you. And our school, man, our school had seven straight years of decline. If you weren't over there, you didn't know how bad it was getting. It was rough. The money wasn't there. The students weren't there. We were graduating 80 and barely bringing in 40 or 45. Today, they're waiting list at every young grade. And we have grown right at 50%, 853 to 1264 today. The largest GCA has ever been. And that's comparing apples to apples with preschool and pre-K ministry. It's an incredible thing. Many guys saw their online presence decline rapidly after COVID. Ours has actually held steady and even in some areas like YouTube increased. We've reached nearly three quarters of a million people through the messages online. 
We've welcomed, now this is the people that register. A lot of y'all come and you don't register. I can't hardly blame you. I don't want anybody to have my information either. But first time guests that registered, okay? We've had 1,746. But here's the craziest part of it. 1,746 registered. Look at this number. 1,479 have said, yes, I want to become a member of Grace and have gone through a covenant membership process. And there's, um, I don't know, there's 60 or 80 in the room right now praying about that. So that's an incredible number in five years, but my favorite number of all, and um, this doesn't include all the salvations. Some of these salvations we've sent to other churches where they've been saved. Some of our salvations in our school, many of them we've sent to other churches, but the number of people we've baptized here in Grace Baptist Church in these five years has been 655 people. That's pretty exciting, right? Yeah. I just want to say thank you to the team. Thank you to you guys. Um, there's a lot more we could say. Those were 12 big rocks. And I just, um, I just know that if it weren't the Lord doing it, it would have never happened. And I just believe with all my heart that the greater things are coming. And we got to stay focused and we got to do things the right way. we got to plow through some hard stuff at times. Uh, we'll go back to Hebrews, an anchor for the soul we got to be willing to plow through the tough stuff too. We can't just celebrate the mountaintops. we got to walk with each other through the valleys. And I want us to do that today with a very, well, just to be honest with you all, a difficult message. I would not have picked this text to preach ever if I were not preaching through this book. I would have never come to this part of Hebrews 12 and said, oh, that sounds fun. Let me preach on discipline. That's awesome. I wouldn't have done it. But God and his sovereignty, and I think one of the reasons he blesses book preaching is because you have to wrestle with all of it. You know, if your wife wrote you a letter and she wanted to tell you some things, maybe good, bad, or indifferent, but she wanted to tell you something, and you decided, I'm just going to read the good stuff, you're probably not going to be as good as you ought to be as her husband. And so as children of God, the Father's written us a lot of letters. And sometimes us pastors love to pull out the good stuff. And talk about our victories. And talk about all that we can celebrate. But y'all know sometimes we need to talk about the tough stuff too. And so I want us to read this verse together. Then I'll throw a few blanks in it. And it says in Hebrews 12, 3. Y'all just say it with me. You ready? For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Anytime you think somebody's coming at you, how did they treat Jesus? How did they treat Jesus? Do I think I deserve better than Jesus? The son of God, God the son, God with skin on. Do I think I deserve better than Jesus? Jesus said, if they hate me, they'll hate you. We got to consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Otherwise, we become weary. We become discouraged. Man, I would love to tell you all that grace is kind of the rule and all my brothers from all these churches around all the country, man, God's just moving and they're seeing so many things, but that is not true. So many are hurting and suffering and so many churches are declining and so many 800 to 1,000 closing their doors every year just in America. We need to help turn that around. 
We're going to be more intentional about not just seeing God grow grace, but God grow the kingdom in East Tennessee. We're going to be more intentional about helping some of those churches. I'll guarantee you, we're going to put our money where our mouth is and our people where our passion is, and we're going to help some churches find life again. Because it's not about growing grace, it's about the kingdom of God and the glory of God. Okay, you've had a lot of time to learn it. You've learned it, let's say it. Ready, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. I don't want you to be weary. I don't want you to be discouraged. To endure the race successfully, we gotta start by laying aside every weight and sin. We learned that in the first three verses of this chapter. We gotta look to Jesus and his finished work. We gotta consider what our Lord faced in his own race. We talked about that a few weeks ago, but today the theme is don't despise discipline. Now, by show of hands, how many of you love it when you are punished or disciplined? If you got your hand up, you're a weirdo. I'm just gonna tell you right now, I love you, but you're weird. I don't know anybody, if they're thinking right and they're normal, that would say, I love discipline. I want to be disciplined. Some of y'all know the story of me stealing a bunch of cigarettes with two of my best buddies. We were always trouble together. Um, One of them's home with the Lord. One of them is actually a preacher now. It's kind of funny, God's sense of humor. We stole a bunch of cigarettes, packs and packs and packs. It would have been thousands of dollars worth today. Thankfully, they were cheap back then because I got convicted. I was under deep conviction. We hid them in my playhouse. We literally hid them in the, the tree house my papa had built for me as a kid. And, uh, and I got deeply convicted. I couldn't sleep. Night after night, I finally confessed to mom and dad. And you know what they did? They had a laying on a hand ceremony with me. But I confessed. You know what else they did? They made a worksheet. And I had to pay those things back. Every pack earning, I think it back then it was 25 cents an hour I worked for. And I worked a lot of hours. Years after the event, I found that, that spreadsheet thing my mother had made up. <clears throat> One of the best things that ever happened to me. You know how many cigarettes I've stolen since then? Exactly, 0.0. Make me sick. <clears throat> I didn't like it. In fact, part of me thought it was unfair. I've confessed. I'm the one that came forward first. My buddies weren't too happy with me either. But I think all of us today would say we're grateful for the punishment. And I think all of us on this side of it would learn to see discipline differently, especially from the Lord. So let's talk about that today. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Um, Let's look at 4 to 11, okay? It says this, you have not yet resisted a bloodshed striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. From the Proverbs here, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. For whatever reason, the New King James translators love the word chastening. I don't think we use that word as much anymore. I would have preferred the translation discipline. I think it's a more accurate translation, but chastening in its time was proper. So don't despise the discipline or chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as as with sons. 
For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. That's pretty scary there, y'all. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us to seem best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful in the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us enough to discipline us. We can't always discern exactly where it is, just like Job. He didn't know. And in reality, because we're privy to what was happening in the halls of heaven, we know you weren't disciplining him. And yet I'm sure it felt that way to him. We know it did by the way he responded. And yet I'm amazed that a man that could suffer like that in loss could still turn toward heaven and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. There's a lot that we still have to learn. Help us not to despise discipline. Help us to turn to you, not away from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... What do I want you to get here today? Don't despise the Lord's discipline, guys. Learn and grow from it, okay? Learn and grow from it. Now, we're going to talk about the fact that you can't always know if it's discipline of the Lord or just the fact of sin in the world, but sometimes you do know. When those nights, I don't remember how old I was. I guess I was 11, 12 years old, but those nights tossing and turning, you got those cigarettes out there, your smoldering sin is out there, and you know that dishonors your family, and you know that stealing is wrong, and you know that this is against God's will for you. You're supposed to be a kid who knows Jesus. You know if it's God's discipline. If God's taking your peace and God's taking your rest. But look, and I knew when we had the land on a hand ceremony, I deserved every one of those hands. But the reality is, he's saying right here, the writer's saying in four, you've not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. Meaning this, you've not been martyred yet. Look at Jesus. Jesus was martyred. Jesus was killed. You've not risen to that. Now, some of you are going to, now in this context, some of y'all are going to, Some of you are going to lose your life. Some of you are going to shed your blood. But it hadn't happened yet. Think about how much more Jesus has struggled. You've experienced hardship, but not to the point of shedding blood. But you're striving. You're struggling against sin. It's like this this opponent that's to be cast off. And he says, look, remember God's word. Remember the exhortation. We get it out of the book of Proverbs. And it's from the Septuagint. That is the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. And it comes from Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. And the quotation says, look, my son, don't despise the chastening, the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. The Lord loves the ones that he disciplines. If he's not disciplining you, then you ought to be worried. He scourges every son whom he receives. When, when God disciplines some people, they're indifferent to it. So others are overwhelmed by it. Christians ought to learn and grow from it. We shouldn't see the trials as cause for being weary or discouraged, but as a sign of God's determined love. It's so interesting that this word discipline or chastening is used over and over and over. It's paideus or one of its derivatives. It's used eight times in these verses. I'm going to break that down for you. I don't do this all the time, but listen to this word. It's a cool word, paideia. It's where we would get words like pediatrician. 
Etymologically, you can follow that. It means young boy or child, right? And when you put the word paideus together, it's got uh, paido, boy or child, and agagos is leader. And so you're leading a child. Discipline is the concept of, of leading a child. And it doesn't have anything to do with age. It has nothing to do with age. Because he is our father and we are his children. If we are Christians, our father has the right and the responsibility to discipline us, to guide us, and to guard us. And the same exact word is used in Ephesians 6, 4 of the nurture and discipline an earthly parent gives to their child. The word is not exclusive to the New Testament. It's actually found all over Greek literature of this day. The New King James translators, again, say chasten or correct. I like discipline. I think we understand that word discipline. And I don't mean a spiritual discipline, like learn to read your Bible, pray. No, no, it's not like that. Prayer and fasting and all that. It's not that kind of discipline. It is punishment, correction, chastening. It's training. God uses discipline to teach us, to mold us, to make us. Now, listen very carefully. What I'm about to say is super important, guys. We must be careful when we presume to understand what's going on in the heart of God or the halls of heaven. I heard pastors standing in their pulpits proclaiming loudly that Katrina was God's judgment on wicked New Orleans. And it broke my heart. This earth rages and groans with storms because of the weight of sin that has affected everything. But to make grand declarations when you can't go to the Bible with proof is a dangerous thing. And you may look at somebody's life and you may think, oh, there's something bad going on. Look how they suffer. And they may be suffering for righteousness sake. Be very careful, you are not God, nor am I. There will be times you will know if it is the discipline of the Lord. There will be times when it is simply the product of living in a sin-cursed world. Think about the times you were disciplined in childhood, or as a teenager, or maybe even as an adult. Is anybody here still shudder when you hear the phrase, wait till your father gets home? That's the most unholy phrase in the English language, man. I hated that. Because I knew, now I went to school in the day where your teacher or your principal could whoop you. Anybody be in school like that? And then, you know, that was bad enough. That's humiliating enough. Listen, that was a drop in the bucket for what was waiting when I got home. Not that I ever got any spankings or anything. I'm just saying, if you were one of those bad kids that got spanked. I'm not saying bring corporal discipline back to our schools, but I am saying we better bring some discipline back to our homes. We better get some parents that are loving their kids enough to discipline them. I'm not saying you have to do it that way, but you have to be a disciplinarian because discipline's either gonna make you bitter or it's gonna make you better. Sometimes close to the punishment, you're bitter, and then later you realize you're better. But you know, sometimes you feel it was unfair, it was unjustified. Were all of our decisions perfect us giving the discipline as parents did we always do it the right way no of course we didn't of course we didn't but why did you discipline your kids to make them bitter or to make them better surely it was the latter I think about our amazing team of men and women here I, I committed to them this year 
that we will make sure that what we expect, we inspect, and we'll hold one another accountable. We want to continue to raise the bar to be more like Christ, to do things above board and to do things well with accountability and transparency. And then, you know, sometimes you have to make changes, and we've made some changes here at our church. But I love what Brother Barry brought to the table a few weeks ago in a pastor's meeting. Barry Silver, uh, and he's going to be going through an ordination process this spring. But Barry said this, and I wrote it down. I said, I got a message. I want to put that in. He said, underperformers perceive accountability as punishment. That was good. And the only ones of you that will be mad and write me about that are underperformers. (laughs) There is a standard for the child of God. There are expectations God has of us. And if we are consistently underperforming, we will perceive the accountability that God holds us to as punishment. And yet God loves us. And God's trying to make us better, not bitter. And so I just want you to understand, what are we learning and growing? How are we learning and growing from this? And you listen, you're not God. You can't always discern. But you can always learn and grow. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. Learn and grow from it. The Lord's discipline demonstrates that we are truly his children. That's important, gang. That's seven, eight, and nine right there in front of us. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? And if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate. That's scary. And not sons. We had these human fathers who did it. We paid them respect. Now, how much more should we be in subjection to the father of spirits? So he's saying, look, sonship and discipline go together. Sonship and discipline go together. Finish this phrase. Y'all ready? Spare the rod. Good. But those of you that know your Bible know that's not at all what the Bible says. That's what we've been taught, but that's so weak. In fact, as a G-pod now, I think God wants us to spoil our grandchildren. I believe that's a thing from the Lord. I think it's all right. You spoil those grandchildren, not your children. They'll be brats. But you take those grandchildren and you spoil them all you want. And don't tell your child everybody gets a trophy and everybody's a winner. They may be a little loser. You might need to give them a swift holy kick. We don't operate that way. In fact, talk to the tame cats up in Kentucky last night. They're not winners. They're losers. Talk to the Blue Devils over there in Durham, North Carolina. They're not winners. They're losers. Everybody's not a winner except when you know the Lord. Except when you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you're a winner. But the Bible doesn't say spare the rod, spoil the child. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares the rod hates his son. Whoa. Pastor, are you serious? Yep. If you have a translation that doesn't use the word hate, you don't have a good translation. I've studied it up one side and down the other, and every way you can look at that word in the Hebrew, it is hate, despise, loathe, abhor. You don't discipline a child promptly and properly. You hate that child. But he whom he loves, he disciplines promptly. That's what the Bible says. Bear the rights, ball the child. Nope. You hate the child. Love and discipline are not incompatible. They are complementary and necessary aspects of training and building up. Aren't you glad you came to church today to hear about discipline? 
It's good for us, folks. It's good for us. Warren Wiersbe wrote something, y'all. I had to pause. I had to read it. I had to reread it, and I had to read it again. Then I copied it into my notes because it was so powerful. He said this. I have met in my ministry people who have professed to be saved, but for some reason they've never experienced any chastening. If they disobeyed, they seemed to get away with it. If I resisted God's will and did not experience his loving loving chastening, I would be afraid that I was not saved. All true children of God receive his chastening. All others who claim to be saved but escape chastening are nothing but counterfeits, illegitimate children. You know what I thought about? I've even known of some men of God. I've even known of some guys that have pastor in front of their name, a reverend done some pretty rotten things and it looks like they're still just doing their thing and here's what I have to be reminded of they will get theirs God is not slumbering nor sleeping and here's the scarier thing here listen to me now I can think of one in particular just just over and over in my head and my heart whom I've loved and tried to help but let me tell you right now a very strong possibility they don't even know the Lord, which is worse because that punishment will be eternal. It's a very strong possibility they don't even know the Savior. Wearsby saying, I'd be scared to death if I wasn't disciplined. Y'all know that good parents provide training and instruction for their children. Otherwise, they're not their true sons. You know, we've had, we have four kids, man. We had three daughters, then we had Bobby. With three girls, you got a lot of little sleepovers and a lot of little giggle parties. And there are kids everywhere, it seems like all the time when they're little. Have y'all ever, you know, you don't struggle maybe disciplining your own. We've never really struggled with that. In fact, I admittedly was far too hard on our first one. But she turned out real good, Heather. She, she had it tough, though. I was strict with a capital S. And then I got a little bit easier and a little bit easier. And by the time little Bobby came along, I was just like, hey, man, you're good. And so, you know, it's tough sometimes because as a parent, you know you mess up. You know you do wrong. You know you're too hard, sometimes too easy. And you have to balance that. I've never really struggled, though, to tell my kids, stop. Don't do that. Okay, lay it on the hands. Here it comes. Watch out. But you know what kills me? Watching other parents when their kids are going stir back crazy. Those little parties they'd come over to the house, these kids would be jumping on our couch like it was some kind of trampoline. And the mamas and daddies are just looking at them like, ain't he cute? No, he ain't cute. Take your belt off. <laughs> we have them picking parts and rubbing it on the walls. Listen, I'm not playing. I am not playing. I'm not making this up. That y'all flick from the Christmas story. Flick put his tongue on the flagpole. Y'all remember that? I had a flick come to my house one time. This kid stuck his tongue out and licked down my freshly painted walls. Licked my walls. <laughs> what did his parents do? <laughs> I could have killed that youngin. Be the parent. Love that child. He's licking walls today. He's curled up in some therapist office tomorrow because he can't function. Love that child. What in the world has happened to parenting and discipline? 
I'm not exaggerating when I tell you they'll let their little angels run and scream and jump and holler and wipe bodily fluids on my walls. I can't discipline them though, can I? Or I'm in the front page of the newspaper. It's not my job to discipline your snot-nosed youngin'. You discipline your child because you love them. Because you want what's best for them, not to make them bitter, but to make them better. And maybe some of y'all just need a straitjacket for a few years. If God disciplines us because he loves us, then we have to learn that there are times when we need to take that and say, okay, Lord, what are you teaching me here? What am I missing? What path am I taking? How, how are you bringing me back to yourself. We can respond in a lot of ways, right? I think it's okay sometimes to say, God, I don't like this. The psalmist do it. David did it a number of times. Many biblical characters say, I don't like this. It's not that Job loved what he was going through. God, I hate this. But you at some point have to release the clenched fist of anger, the open hand of praise. At some point, you can say, I hate this, I don't like it, I don't understand it, I'm mad about it, but I love you, and I trust you, and you're better, and I believe that you have my good and your glory right out front of this, and I don't understand it, but God, I'll trust you in it. But if you've never experienced the discipline of the Lord, are you certain you're a son? Of the Father. Don't despise his discipline, learn and grow from it. It dis- demonstrates we're truly his children. Last truth the Lord's discipline is always appropriate and beneficial for his glory and our good. If you look at 9 and 10, uh, and, and even 11, or really 10 and 11, it says, Look, our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time, just a few days, and they did the best they could, basically, for our profit. And none of it, no discipline seems joyful at the moment. It's painful. But afterward, it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness. That all, all that says is this. You'll be in peace. You're not in turmoil. And you'll learn to do the right thing. Don't overcomplicate biblical words. Righteousness, to do the right thing. R-I-G-H-T. You're going to have this peace that leads to righteousness. And, and it does that for all of us who've been trained by it. Let me, let me just ask you a question. Children, we know this. Children are going to grow up. They're going to leave home. They're going to move beyond the discipline of their parents. They're going to create their own family units. We had some yesterday, right? Congratulations to Austin and Annie Hensley who got married. Congratulations to Logan and Mary Beth, the Heidenreichs, Jeff's daughter who got married. It's wonderful to see all these young couples. They just walk around with a goofy grin on their face all the time. It's fabulous. I love it. It's a beautiful thing to have all these young couples in our church family. And, and then, you know, down the road, you're going to be a G-Paw one day or whatever you call yourself, uh, Grandpappy or whatever it is. I think it's It's such a beautiful time of life and a beautiful thing to watch. But we know that our discipline for our children is seasonal. We know that. But God's discipline is forever. And let me ask you a question. I admitted mine already. Any other parents ever discipline your kids maybe the wrong way? Maybe too much, too little? Anybody? Bunch of liars. Yeah, of course you did. Of course, if you've had kids, you've done it wrong sometimes. Imagine, though, the one giving discipline never gets it wrong. He never does too much, never does too little. 
never goes overboard. This is what the Bible says. For his glory and our good that we may share in his holiness. He'll never neglect the discipline, but he'll always do just enough. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain. See, some of y'all struggle with this. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? You need to redefine what good is and what bad is and God's sovereignty that we can't possibly unpack and fully understand. But C.S. Lewis in this book, The Problem of Pain, encapsulates this. He says, look, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse the deaf world. How do you pray when it's all going great? Let's be honest with one another. Okay, you get along. Thank you, Lord, for our daily bread. Thank you for a day. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you, Lord, for this. How do you pray when it's really, really tough? How do you pray when somebody you love is really suffering? An anguish of soul. You get serious. See, some pastors of late have gotten this wrong. Now listen to me. They have gotten this wrong. Some pastors, well-known pastors, have stood and said, oh, there are times when God whispers about sin. Wrong. 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 God is not whispering about sin. If anything, he's whispering in pleasure, but he's shouting in our pain. Come to me, trust me, believe me, cling to me, be like the vine. The storm will either blow it away from the mighty oak or blow it into the mighty oak. Which will you be? Because if you get blown away from the mighty oak, you will wither and die. Which will you be? Make your choice. Choose how you will serve the Lord. The truth is sometimes it's not just what we've done, it's what somebody else has done. I was a baseball freak as a kid. I played baseball for years. I loved baseball. But a couple of seasons, we had this weird kid on the team. I'm not going to say his name because I don't know who all might be listening. He had a nickname that we all called him. But he used to say crazy things. Crazy things. We'd be out there playing ball. He was an outfielder. I've played first base most most all my years of baseball, but he would like taunt people and he would taunt the other team. He would taunt girls that would walk around the outfield fence. He would say terribly inappropriate things to them. He would literally say this. He'd say, hey girl, what are you doing? I want to lick your leg. Well, the coach would, yeah, that's what he said. I know it's perverse and it's gross. And the coach would go bananas. I mean, which he should have gone bananas. What are you doing? Did you say that again? And of course, what did he do? Everybody drop your gloves. Give me some laps. And we're like, man. So we get back to the locker room. Guess what? Discipline. <laughs> Discipline. <laughs> Have you ever run laps for somebody else's stupidity? Of course you have. We've all run laps for somebody else's bad choice or choice says in the case of that kid. So be careful. Sometimes people suffer because of things others have done. In fact, you remember a fellow named David with a gal named Bathsheba. They weren't the only two to suffer. There was a guy named Uriah that lost his life. There was an infant child that lost his life. David's sons and his son's sons would continue to suffer because of the bad choices of the father. 
But it's so interesting to me as I sort of bring this train into the station here. Verse 11 ends with this word of being trained. You're going to have peaceable fruit of righteousness for those trained by the Lord's discipline. That is a great word, guys. Train. Let me tell you the word. You'll know it. It's from Greek. Gymnazo. Gymnazo. It's where you get the word gymnasium or gymnastics. It's an athletic word. Of course, it's still an athletic word. But it really does mean, like athletically, to be trained up. God doesn't want you to be a spiritual wimp. God wants you to be trained up. Man, I'll never forget what somebody said in my office. They had been through so much pain, so much shame. Not their sin per se, not their sin per se, but in their family. And they said, God has been teaching me something. And I said, what has God been teaching you? And they said that he doesn't waste pain. Wow. God doesn't waste pain. It may not be from your sin. It may be from their sin. It may be from the fact that we live in a sin-cursed and fallen world. But I can promise you this. If you are in pain today, God won't waste it. God will use it. And he can draw you closer to him, closer to your spouse, maybe closer to your children. Or it can drive you away. I believe like the little boy whose father told him before he whipped him, son, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you. Did y'all ever say that? The little boy said, yeah, dad, but it's not going to hurt you in the same place. That's true. God chastens his children, but I don't believe he gets joy out of that. He does it because you and I need it. Not only does chastening not seem to be joyous, it isn't joyous. It's grievous and painful both for us and our Father. Just like when you've disciplined your children. I hope you're not sick and sadistic and have gotten joy out of that. I hope it has been with pain and a heavy heart that you say, I don't want to do this. And as they get older and you say, you know, I, I, wanna t- I have to take that phone or I have to do this. And, and you know, uh, of course, things change as they age, but you say, I'm going to do this. And you don't want to do that. It's inconvenient or painful. You don't want to do that, but you do that because you want to guide them and you want to guard them and you want to protect them. Well, yeah, our Heavenly Father's that way. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. Learn and grow from it. His discipline demonstrates that we're truly His children and His discipline is always appropriate and beneficial for His glory and our good. Be careful. How about not looking at the guy next to you and saying, I know why you're suffering. Be careful. How about looking in the mirror? You know. You know if God's on you. I want to close with a story. I read the poem and I had to follow up, find the story. It was so powerful. Because I feel like sometimes when we're in pain, whether it, again, is us doing things, um, you know, because we deserve us that have been in sin or other people's sin that's causing us pain or just the fact that we live in a fallen world. I mean, even a body sickness. Listen, a body sickness is a result of living in a fallen world. So it should make you hate sin and Satan all the more and love God all the more, that it won't be this way forever. It should cause you to say, it won't be like this forever. I'm going to a place where there is no pain, no tears, no suffering, no shame. Man, I praise God there's no Alzheimer's in heaven. Praise God for that. But the pain here is real, right? There was a fellow named Dr. Jeff Ray. He served as a professor of preaching at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. 
He taught well up into the 1940s when he was more than 80 years of age. But trouble and tragedy etched its influence in his life. He had lost his first wife. He had to serve as mother and father to his children. Sorrow was compounded one day when he lost one of his sons. He really understood grief. It took the vitality out of Dr. Ray. For a time, he quit teaching. He quit preaching in local churches. He was dejected. He was depressed. He was unable to develop interest in anything, and he was ready to say, I cannot go on. See, men of God face that too, guys. All of us face the depression, the despondency, the doubt. He said, I cannot go on. But there was a lady named Mrs. Elliott. She was wife of the seminary librarian at the time. She sent her husband to Dr. Ray with a scrapbook filled with poems and articles which had encouraged her. And after Dr. Elliott's departure, Dr. Ray sat down and he began to leaf through the pages of the scrapbook and a poem really popped out to him. And the title of this poem, although it is anonymous, the title is, I Won't Let Go. Realizing that he had been wanting to do just that, just wanting to let go of everything, including life, Dr. Ray read these words. I want to let go, but I won't let go. There are battles to fight by day and by night for God and the right, and I'll never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. I'm sick, tis true, worried and blue and worn through and through, but I won't let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. I'll never yield. What, lie down in the field and surrender my shield? No, I'll never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. May this be my song, mid legions of wrong. Oh, God, keep me strong that I may never let go. Really spoke to me. Because I think if you live long enough, and you've been around our son enough times, Maybe your check engine light starts coming on with your body. Sometimes you feel like, yeah, just not today. Just not today. I just can't do this today. But there's a battle going on. When you came to Jesus as Lord and Savior, Satan lost the battle for your soul. But now he's after your testimony. He loves somebody that claims the name of Christ but lives with a bitter spirit. That does far more good for his evil kingdom than for God's glorious kingdom. So today I would encourage you to put down the grief and the defeat. Put behind the thoughts of giving up or quitting. Dr. Ray did. He returned to the classroom to teach and he returned to pulpits to preach and for many years he distributed copies of that poem to his students and many found encouragement from his testimony. He had lost a lot but he chose to hold on to his Savior and he did not let go. And if you're here today and you know that you know that you're facing the Lord's discipline, don't let go of him. Hold ever tighter to him. If you're facing hardship or heartache because of the sin of another, or let's face it, sometimes it's tough just because we live in this sinful world. Trust your heavenly Father. Trust his unwavering love for you. Go back with the eye of faith and see the Savior born in the manger. See the young child learning and growing. See the miracle worker walking dusty streets, at times exhausted and yet giving all of himself for those he would come in contact with. 
See the one who would stand as a lamb silent before his accusers. See him whipped, beaten, mocked, and scorned. See him crying out from Calvary's cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See him giving victory's cry to Telestai, it is finished, paid in full, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And though he created this world, the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head, and so they would take down his withered and worn body, and they would place him in a borrowed tomb and see the demons of hell squealing with evil delight because they are not omniscient. And they thought, we've done it. We've killed the king. There is no hope. And Satan, rubbing his grimy fingers together, believing, I am God of this world. And Friday night rolled to Saturday. And I'm sure the parties throughout the halls of hell were louder and stronger than they had ever been. And the sun went down on Saturday But then a rumble began to rise on the Sunday morning. And as the stone rolled away and the Son of God came forth, they squealed now in fear because Satan and his cohorts knew they had been defeated. Jesus Christ was and is victorious and he defeated all of the pain and all of the shame and all of the heartache and he's calling to you today to trust him, to lay your life down. Yes, there will be days when it's hard. Yes, you will be punished at times because God loves you. He loves you so much he will punish you. It's not always going to be easy. You're not always going to understand, but God will always be good and heaven will be waiting. Maybe you need to declare today, Lord, mold me and make me. Remake me if you see fit. Cleanse me and correct me. Bring forth the peaceful fruit of righteousness in and through my life. And I declare, I won't let go. And I won't despise your discipline. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.